Summer's not here long, so seize the sizzle with Walmart. Find all your faves such as Oscar Mayer hot dogs, Kraft singles, and Heinz ketchup. This time of year is all about living easy and sizzling good food. Whether you're cooking for two or for a houseful, grilling outside makes mealtime simple, delicious, and fun. When the coals are hot, be grill ready with all the best ingredients from Walmart. Hey, this is Jill from the Container Store. Oh. Is there something wrong? I just thought a virtual designer would be a cool robot. I could do a robot voice if that helps. Maybe. Hi, I am Jill. Let's design. Nope, absolutely not. Regular voice, thank you. Yeah, I'm not good at impressions. Enjoy free virtual in-home closet design and up to 25% off closet systems with the Container Store's custom closet sale. The Container Store, where space comes from. You are about to enter the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast on shockwaveskullsessions.com. And now your host, Bob Nalbandian. Shockwave Skull Sessions number 57, or at least I think it's number 57. I am Bob Nalbandian, your host, and we've got a great episode for you. This was a conversation with some old friends, or actually some old pen pals from back in the early 80s. My good friend, John Stranansky, who has... Uh, Contributed on a few Skull Sessions in the past. And he is also a producer in the forthcoming Inside Metal film Bay Area Godfathers, which incidentally is all complete. And as you guys know, we unfortunately had to cancel all the screenings, all the public screenings. We are trying to work on some kind of a private screening before the release. The release will be late summer now. It'll be available on DVD and streaming. And it came out fantastic. Really, really happy with the film. Uh, but anyway, going back to John Stranansky, he joins me along with an other old friend from Germany, Mr. Alex G. He had a fanzine called Shock Power back in the early 80s when I did my Headbanger fanzine and John Stranansky did his Metal Rendezvous fanzine. So uh, much like the podcast we did a couple episodes back with Ron Quintana, John Cornerens, and Patrick Scott, this is another very old school metal podcast where we get into a lot of the old new wave of British heavy metal bands and of course the German and European bands. And uh, for those of you that don't know Alex G, as I mentioned, he was the original editor for the great German metal fanzine of the early 80s called Shock Power. In fact, he's got a Facebook page, Shock Power Rising, you guys should definitely check out. Definitely an old school metal guy who has gone on to being... Literally, one of the biggest journalists in entertainment throughout all of Europe. He writes for a couple of the biggest entertainment magazines, so he's interviewed not just all your greatest metal bands, but all the big pop stars and uh, everything else in between. So uh, we're going to get right to this conversation now, a great conversation about an hour long with Mr. John Sternansky and Alex G. Enjoy. This hey, is... <laughs> it's good to talk to you for a first time, man. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It's been too many years, Alex. John, I talk yeah, to him all I'm the time. I'm sorry, you know, we're going to do this in German. Yeah, I... <laughs> I was I was afraid of that. <laughs> well, this is going to be fun. So, you know, we'll just, no agenda. I've got nothing written down. We're just going to bullshit like three old school metal guys from the old tape trading days. Yeah, I mean, we go way back um, to about 1984, early 1984. 
Yeah, I would say that. Is that when uh, Shock Power first started? Uh, Shock Power, are you rolling already? Yeah, yeah, we're rolling. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, no, Shock Power came out July uh, 1983. And this was prior to Kill 'em All. Kill 'em All came out end of July, but we came out in the beginning. So in the first issue, you have no Metallica. Because we did not, we didn't have material on Metallica. We just had the No Life to Leather demo tape, and um, a couple of days uh, before, in June of '83, there was an Art Shock festival from Metal Mike. Right, I remember that. And they had play Merciful Fate, and Raven was playing, and uh, Trance, the German band that got us our name. Because they had a song called Shock Power. Yeah, that's right. Power and that's Infusion took, was their that, album. That's where <laughs> I took the name for the magazine, you know. And then we put the advertisements in uh, in Germany, in other magazines, you know, that Shock Power was a new mag a fanzine for sale. And we also put one in Kerrang! And Kerrang! was read by all you guys. Right. And that's how we got in touch. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Your and memory's much better than mine. Alex, you and I got in touch, but I know you, you started writing for Metal Rendezvous pretty pretty quickly. We yes. started we started it uh, a little earlier. We started in 1982 was our first issue, and it was just local bands. And the name came also from another band, of course, from the Crocus who had right. the Metal Rendezvous album in 1980. That's where we stole our name from. So we kind of have some similarities there. But, wow. Uh, yeah. And then you got the Headbanger box. That's right. I started, I believe the first issue was April of 1982. And uh, you came out just before me, right, uh, Stred? Or was it around the same time? It was time? right around there. Yeah, because I remember... I don't remember which month it was, but I wasn't even that closely involved yet with number with issue number one. It was really Tim... Tim Korochikov, who did that first issue, and we, Bill and Hale and I, were thought, thinking, man, this is so cool. We're going to get involved, and that's when we really started working on issue number two. That's right, because that was we got involved. originally yeah. a pen pal with Tim, and Tim, yeah. I remember he was a big Silver Mountain fan, and yes. I, uh, I, I don't know if I got him through Kerrang! as well, but that, that, of course, is where we got most of our pen pals, even the yeah. U.S. pen pals, Ron Quintana. Uh, through yeah. his his uh, little classified ad in Kerrang magazine, so yeah. that was. And the... for me, for me, it was uh, also Brian Liu who did the one issue of Whiplash, Whiplash, right? And he was the one who sent me the No Life to Leather demo tape and also a Metallica Metal Up Your Ass shirt that I still got. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a rarity. I don't have that. I got the No Life to Leather demo and the shirt from Lars directly. Yeah, well, that's even better. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I had an original I, handwritten cassette cover from Lars. Yeah, but I met know. Lars. I met yeah. Lars the last time two years ago when Metallica was playing in uh, Germany, and I made an interview. I'm now working for the Spiegel, which is like a Newsweek or Time magazine in America. So it's the biggest news magazine in Europe, right? And uh, yeah. so I did an interview with Lars, and I brought. My old Shock Power, a couple of Shock Power issues to show him, and uh, he was almost in tears. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we talked about Stred, we talked about Bob, we talked about Brian and Ron, you know. I came up with all these names, and I mean, I met Metallica over the years about 50 times right. when I worked for Bravo, you know, Bravo 
was a weekly magazine, also a ma huge magazine, sure. that even Stred read it when he was young, which is a long time ago. Um, well, you know, you know, you, you gotta explain. You gotta explain that Bravo is really aimed at prepubescent teenage, you know, teenagers. That's why, really, Alex's favorite band is is the uh, Osmond Brothers. Really, that that's where he that's where he started out. Crazy and horses. <laughs> well, well, listen. You know what? I, I I suppose I should probably do a proper intro because people are wondering who the hell are these German guys. I know uh, people yeah, yeah. know people know John. John's been a regular on the Skull Sessions and. He's uh, did a lot of interviews for the uh, Shockwaves Hard Radio podcast as well. But people may not be familiar with the infamous Alex G. from Germany, the original editor for Shock Power magazine. And, uh, you know, you're talking about Bravo and all these other major publications in Germany. Kind of give give uh, people a little background. I know you've interviewed everyone in the world, every major rock star, from Paul McCartney to Richie Blackmore, dude. I mean, you interviewed Blackmore. How cool is that? And Jimmy Page and Pete Townsend. Dude, you're by I And all the metal guys. <laughs> my dream... My, okay, let me explain that to you. I am from Germany. I grew up in Mannheim, you know, so there was a lot of American barracks there, a lot of GIs, you know. So I hung out with the army brats, you know, which I guess I got more of an American than a British accent. And I'm very, very thankful for that. Um, and when I was a kid, when I was a kid, you know, the only magazine around, we're talking about mm -hmm. 1978, 79, you know, there was no heavy metal press at all. In Germany, there was a teen magazine. It was called Bravo. And Bravo started out, uh, lo and behold, in 1956, wow. and they had Elvis, Elvis Presley on the cover, you know. So my mother, she was an avid Elvis fan, and she always read Bravo, and later she bought it for me. So that's where I had Rainbow and Thin Lizzy and uh, Black Sabbath and ACDC and Kiss. They were all featured in that teen magazine <laughs> because there was nothing else, and Strad knows it. I mean, they had Slade. They yep. had Sweet, yep. they had Susie Quattro, you know. They had all these rock stars, but also teeny boppers, of yeah. course, you know. Yeah. But I was always looking for the heavy metal and hard rock guys. So in my, 1980, my... in 1980, I, I got the new issue. Again, there was no heavy metal press around. And I open up the magazine and I see five guys and a monster. And they say, it's a new band from England, Iron Maiden. You know, oh, and nice. that's when I bought the album... I heard Prowler, you know, and I was gone, you know. It was like a new world had opened up, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And and so and and the funny thing is, you know, in Bravo there was always a photo of the reporter with the artist, you know. So I see a picture of the reporter with say uh Tina Turner, with Kiss, with Angus Young, you know, I saw these guys with the rock stars, you know. Are you sure that and wasn't said, Metal Edge magazine and Jerry Miller? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go it ahead, was, Alex. <laughs> Inside joke. You know, so I was I was totally, uh, you know, starstruck, you know, and I saw all these pictures, and wow, these guys are hanging out with the rock stars, you know. So pretty pretty soon it became obvious that that's what I wanted to do. And to cut a start, long story short, I was living in a relatively small town. It was boring. I was a heavy metal fan. I had another friend, Frank, who had the same record collection, you know. He had Tigers of Pantang. He had Angel Witch, you know. Uh, he had uh, Samson, Raven, you know, all these new bands, new wave of British heavy metal that we all love so much, you know. So we both, we started Chuck Power. 
because we, my dream was never to be a rock star with a guitar. My dream was to have my name under a heavy metal article. And that came true. <laughs> awesome. And that, that's very similar to my story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I started a little earlier than that. My sister introduced me to Bravo because she was in love with Bernd Kluver. Yeah. Alex yeah. knows who that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's German, kind of a teeny bopper pop star in the early 70s. But then I got an issue of Bravo, and there was Susie Quattro in her black leather outfit sitting on a motorcycle. Yeah, and I think that's a famous poster, Alex. You probably have that one, too. And you wanted to be the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Yeah. So, so, and, and, of course, that was, a, that was a time when I discovered the, the bands, not necessarily German bands, but the, the British glam bands, Slate, Sweet, Status Quo, Susie Quattro, T-Rex, watching the German TV show uh, Disco with Ilya Richter on uh, ZDF, which was a second uh, program station in, in German TV. Saturday nights, I think it was once a month, they showed all the hits, and that's when I discovered those bands. I didn't really discover the, and I know we're going to talk a lot about the German scene and the German bands, but un until... Later on, uh, once I moved to America, I started discovering all these old German bands that, that really impressed me as well. And I know we'll get into that. But I'm like Alex. I wanted. I didn't really want to be a guitar player or a lead singer. I just wanted to meet the bands, get to know them, and write about them. And uh, that came through for me as well. It was really cool. Then we became pen pals, you know. Yep. And that's now where we have now a full circle, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, uh, you know, there was Bob Muldowney in New York with Kick Monthly. monthly. Yeah. We all know our dear friend Wayne Archibald up in Canada, sure. you know, <laughs> who gave us Voivod and Exciter stuff, you know, and Endel, yeah. you know, and, uh, and Witch Killer and all these guys, cooler bands. And, and there was Ron Quintana and, and us, you know. And today, we're still we, we, we're back together, you know, through Facebook. It's and amazing. I love it. You know, it's it's amazing. so amazing that we're all still in touch and we are all still connected to the heavy metal scene. Yeah. yeah, I mean, think about back then, there were no cell phones or uh, any internet or anything. And, and phone calls, as you remember, were super expensive to call anyone. So Absolutely. it was all through writing letters. And uh, we knew everyone. We all knew the same people worldwide, like a group of 20 people. Yeah, you know? maybe a little more. Yeah, maybe a little more. Than, sure. Uh, but, but yeah, then when, when I came home from school, I mean, I was still a, a student back then, you know, and I came back from school and my mother said to me, Alex, the postman is freaking out, you know. He's got to buy an extra box just for you. And I came home, and on my table, it was it was almost breaking down with demo tapes, you know, and magazines. You know? So every day was Christmas, you know. <laughs> oh, I remember those days. Good days, man. Every day, wait by that mailbox. But box. that was, you know, that was the magic. The magic was... Uh, you know, you had nothing available on the internet. You couldn't watch uh, all the, the the concerts at YouTube and stuff. You know, sure. there was a lot of magic still going on in your mind. And you know, I was thinking, you know, what what does Strad look like? What does Brian Lou look like? What does Bob Nabalni look like and stuff? You know, <laughs> and and the funniest thing ever is when Strad hit me up on Facebook and said, Alex, I'm going to be in Munich, where I live now since many years, you know, we should meet, you know, this is about like eight or ten years ago. Mm. And I said, yes, Dred, sure, it's great, you're coming to Munich, yeah, for the Oktoberfest, fantastic, let's meet. <laughs> so we meet, and we hadn't met before, we hadn't seen each other before, you know, and, and, and we met in a cafe and had a coffee, and all of a sudden Dred is talking German. 
I'm like, what? You're oh, talking you German? Know. I thought he was American. And he said, no, 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 I'm from Slovakia, you know, and, and my parents, we, I used to live in Munich, he said. And, and now it's the craziest thing. I said, where did you live? You know, and he said, on Leopoldstrasse. Okay, that's a big street. You know, that was exactly the street that we met on, really. And what number? He said, what was the number? 30? 32. 32. I said, yeah. what, 32? My office was in exactly that address. <laughs> so my address was in the house that Strad lived in 40 years earlier. He's haunting is you. Strad is a ghost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's still there. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That's crazy. So I hope that one day, you know, there would be a, 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 a huge family uh, gathering, you know, where, uh, I mean, I never met Wayne Archibald, you know, Bob Maldowney is gone, unfortunately, you know, yeah. I've never been to San Francisco, but at least I'll promise if I'm back in LA, because sometimes I come to LA, you know, I definitely gonna see you, Bob. Let me know. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually up in, in the Bay area now too, but I come to oh, LA really? all, I'm in LA all the time. So oh, where do you live now? I'm in San Jose. I've been up ah, here for a, okay. a, a couple of years well, now. I was, you know, working on the new documentary with John Stranansky, the Bay Area Godfathers, which is completed and looks fantastic. And unfortunately, we had to cancel all the screenings. We had, uh, you know, like uh, four or five different screenings that we had set up yeah. for San Francisco, L.A. and yeah. Portland. Yeah, I follow it. I follow it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, so we'll, we'll okay. revisit those screenings and that's when we'll get uh, Alex out. Absolutely. He's going to write this big expose on on our documentary for Spiegel magazine. Yeah. Now, you you do all the big pop stars, too. I always see you on Facebook with Lady Gaga or uh, Beyonce. You know, that that was the thing. You know, when you worked at Bravo, like I said earlier, you know, I was fascinated with I was fascinated with the reporters always having their picture taken, you know, because Bravo, a huge magazine that was six million readers a week. And going for 16 plus years, okay? So it's now, today, obviously, the circulation is much smaller, you know? They, we lost a lot, you know? And I stopped six years ago. I was, at, 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 in the end, I was the editor, you know, the, the boss of the magazine. But then I got fired because, you know, the circulation was going too low because of social media. But back in the day, I worked with Metallica. I went to Brazil to see Sepultura. I had... Exodus in the magazine, you know, I, I, I had uh, all the Slayer, you know, all these bands was featured in the magazine, but I was not all also only uh, working with heavy metal bands. I was working with Michael Jackson, even, you know, I was working with, um, uh, you know, later on with uh, like Beyonce or Jennifer Lopez, but also always Guns N' Roses, you know, Aerosmith, all the maidens. Uh, of this world and ACDC, you yeah. know, so I basically, I met every yeah. rock, Angus Young and Deep Purple and every rock star that I like, except for Mick Jagger, you know, I have met them all. And so my dream came true, you know, and these pictures yeah. were always taken, you know, not to show off, but as a, as a, uh, a proof, you know, like our reporters are meeting the stars. Wow. So, you know, and I kept doing about, the collection. I kept doing, I kept, kept going on doing the collection, you know. So every time I do interview, like I, I did Pete Townsend and Ronnie Wood uh, last December, 
I'm having my picture taken with them because I'm a fan. Yeah. And the thing about Bravo was that it wasn't, it, it, keep in mind, it wasn't a music magazine as such. Right. It, it was a magazine, just a cultural magazine aimed at teenagers that had everything from our favorite when we were very young, sex education pages, all the way to, right. you know, about furniture and, and uh, movies and uh, music. I mean, the, the whole cultural spectrum was represented in Bravo. So it was, it was actually a fun magazine. It's, it's, it's a legend. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really a media legend in Germany. I mean, yeah. there are not too many magazines around that are now, it's Bravo is in its 64th year, you know, oh. so it's still going, it's still there, you know, it's still a print magazine. But now selling not six, not having six million readers a uh, a week anymore, you know. And the good thing is, I was there like in the late eighties and the nineties, you know. And this was when heavy metal was there, you know. And 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 there was huge stories. And because of the big circulation, you know, I could always meet that leopard, you know. And we we had a, we had a photo studio, so we always got the whole band. You know that sometimes when you do interview with no disrespect to musicians, you know, but you'll get the bassist, you know. This can be interesting, but when I have an interview with Aerosmith, I want Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. That's what I got, you know. That was a big luxury, you know, that we always got the lead uh, vocal and and for the for the photos the whole band would show up you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know Metallica many times Metallica you know uh, so all four of them you know starting with Cliff Burton going through Chasing uh, uh, Newstead you know all, always the four of them taking pictures you know making fun a little bit you know <laughs> uh, because it was not a heavy metal magazine but they all knew. It had a huge circulation, and they would sell a lot of records back in the day being featured in the magazine. You know, just going back to, you know, I obviously grew up in America, and we had, you know, we had Circus and Cream and Hip Parader, and then we had the Tiger Beats and, you know, what they right. call the Teeny Bopper right. magazines. And I know in Europe, it like, there's a magazine out of uh, Sweden, as you might know, Poster. Which, uh, you know, yeah. and I've seen some issues. On, I've actually got the poster book uh, from my buddy Jonas. And I see, you know, it's got like Mick Tucker naked. <laughs> like sprawled yeah. naked with his cock hanging out on the couch. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is a teeny, this could, would never pass in America. But it yeah. would have all no. these pop stars and movie stars. And, and then, you know, I, I guess Sweet were kind of a teeny bopper. They kind of rode the line between a... a teeny bopper band and a heavy metal band you know the way right, right. the label tried pushing them but it was a little bit similar here in the states but it was very separate like circus would have the tv stars you would have like tony danza or you know yeah. the cast of happy days and and then you would have aerosmith and and that and circus was the one that kind of crossed that but you know other than that you had to go to the the you know the tiger beats and the uh teeny yeah. bopper it was it was a, it was a bit separate yeah. But basically, you know, the, the 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 thing that, and we have to give the credit, obviously, to Kerrang. You know, we, they started in 1981, and Kerrang was at the epicenter of heavy metal breath. Absolutely. And 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 then it was Brian Slagle, you know, yeah. who did new heavy metal Rabu. Uh, he was also my pen pal back in the day. I still have handwritten letters from him, you know. Um, he wouldn't remember though, but he sent me all the trouble <laughs> records, you know, the Savage Grace and what, sure. what have you. Metal Massacre, you know. And you have your Headbanger, John Metal Rendezvous, and, and then there was Canada. Metal May, all the famous magazines. In Germany, I started Shock Power. 
and this was the very first regular heavy metal fanzine. There was no metal hammer yet. Okay? So no, no rock hard because I know rock hard started no, as a fanzine. No, wait, that's what I'm, let me tell oh, you. That. Okay, okay. So, so my friends, okay, I had two friends up in Dortmund, Uwe Lersch and uh, Holger Stratmann. We were handbells, just like we are. Okay, we traded tapes in Germany. I had finished my, my Xerox black and white copy of Shock Power, okay? Right. And I sent it to them. I said, hey, guys, look what I've done, you know? I have a magazine. It's called Shock Power. And that gave them the idea, the inspiration to start Rock Hard. Ah. So I'm responsible, you know? Wow. And, and to this yeah. day, Uwe is my best friend, you know, and I meet Holger frequently. Rock Hard is still going strong, you know? Yeah. It's still around. Yeah. They have now about 500 issues or so, you know? So we were there when the underground and the tape grading started, and it's also, we are all, all of us, we are involved in the rise of Metallica. A small we world. We are. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, to, 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 to take the biggest band, you know, you got Slayer, you got Anthrax, you got Exodus and Megadeth and all, and Testament, you know, and we were all there for them when they started out, you know, but Metallica is the prime example, you know. We were the underground, the tape grading underground that got the word out. And I remember meeting them first. In, in, they came over in February of 1984. It was still Kill 'em All. Ride the Lightning came out in the summer of '84. Uh, right. So, and again, it was Metal Mike in Holland. You know, a very influential guy with Archuk. You know, yeah, was... uh, who started in '81, and he made these Archuk Dark festivals. You yeah. know, for his magazine. <laughs> yeah. And there was Venom and Metallica. And uh, Savage from England, you know, and and, 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 and that's where I met Cliff Burton, James, uh, Lars, and Kirk, you know, and they and we had a little booth. Mike was so cool, and we also we, we, we meet every year in a festival. Uh, Mike was so cool. He had, you know, there was the H Bomb fan club. There was right. another magazine yeah. from Belgium called Sucks. Yeah, and, and there was Shock Power, and we had our we we were allowed to have a little booth in the arena, in the back of the arena where we uh, could sell the magazine, you know, during the show. And we were setting it up, you know, and I had drawn a huge Shock Power logo. It took me about five hours, you know, uh, on, uh, you know to draw a Shock Power logo. And we, we set the magazine. And all of a sudden, after sound check, James Hetfield appears at our booth. And we almost fainted. And then Cliff Burton came, you know, and everybody, you know, the whole Metallica band were at, my, at our booth. We almost fainted because they were already superstars they had one album but to us they were metal gods already that's straight because yeah. you know it's funny living i grew up obviously in orange county you know lars grew up in newport i was in huntington so i got to know them through my buddy patrick scott who uh, was friends with lars before metallica started so you know yeah. being wow. right in the epicenter seeing their first show and seeing how they were so influential like talk because you know we would send out the tapes to all our pen pals and I, you know, I didn't realize until later how, and just hearing you talk, how influential they were in other parts of the country. I mean, we knew, you know, that they were big and that they had a following, but, you know, to hear that, you know, they were already huge rock stars and, you know, all over uh, Holland and Germany. And, and, you know, of course you had, like you mentioned, we were all pen pals with Ardshock. I was pen pals with Stefan, Stefan Roy Akers, you know, me too. My friends Me were, too, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Andre, Andre Methorst. Andre. And there was, of course, Metal Forces from England, Bernardo and Steve Hammonds, right. who uh, I, I was pen pals with. And uh, there was a Dutch magazine called Headbanger. 
Hank Van, yeah. Van, Van, I can't pronounce his last name, and uh, Bart Kemp. And then you had, like you said, Sucks Magazine out of Belgium. You had uh, Metal Chaos from Italy, Claudio Cubito. Uh, I know him well, yeah. Yeah, so there were so <laughs> many. And, and, of course, the French magazines, Onfer and Metal Attack. And right. we were all pen pals with each other. Yeah. And, and everyone, but, you know, was, was asking about Metallica. How the fuck did this band get so big? In, in every country so quickly. Yeah. It was, it was, it was you amazing. You know, the thing is, the thing is though, uh, you got to take it a step further than that. I do believe that uh, uh, when you compare America to Europe, and since, you know, Alex and I are both European, I think th- that we had a core, smaller group of really passionate fans. In Europe, that passion was a lot more widespread. It was It was more mainstream. And that's why we saw even more acceptance of heavy metal quicker in uh, in Europe than we saw in the United States. I, I do believe that, the, and you, you can see today how much traditional heavy metal is still pretty big in the, in the European scene, uh, hardly at all here in the US. I think the passion runs a lot deeper with the European fans than it does over here. And that resulted in all those magazines early on that was just kind of uh, a one reflection of that that's always been like that in Europe. Yeah, and all the great bands and the festivals that you know, you mentioned the Yard Shock of the Dynamo, all the you know festivals in Germany and Holland that we never got. You know, till yeah. you know years later, but nothing, nothing like the ones in Germany yeah. or Holland. I, I can say that you know, in Germany, I speak for Germany. Okay, so the fans are super loyal. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I remember back in '82. You know, we had a concert, uh, Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast, opening mm-hmm. act was Trust from from France, ah, yes. right? So we couldn't wait to get into the arena, go center stage, front of stage, you know, and, and hear Trust and Iron Maiden. And I heard in America, you like in the 80s, you would have like Loudness or Open Up for Ozzy, for example, you know. But when Loudness came on stage, the arena would be half empty. Yes. Because everybody was just waiting for Ozzy Osbourne, the big superstar, right? Yeah. And, and so it was pretty bad for the opening acts, you know, because nobody drew attention. In Germany, it was always from start to finish that the people loved it. Exactly. So in America, you had like, I, I don't want to put it down, obviously, you know. You no, you're right. People, unless unless but, the fans but, knew, were aware of the band, they would be in the parking lot drinking. They wouldn't, you know, the opening yeah. band was just like a warm up for them, you know. It wasn't, this would be impossible know. for us, you know. We'd go in and see the support act. And uh, I remember Metallica opening for Twisted Sister, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in America, because I grew up with Americans in, in Mannheim, who, whose parents were in the army, you know, they, they were a lot of like a flavor of the month, you know. Now Van Halen is cool. Now Bon Jovi is exactly, cool, you know. Yeah. Then something else is cool, you know. Um, they called it like the flavor of the month, you know. Now heavy metal is cool. We are into heavy metal. Now new wave is cool. Right. We go into a new yep. wave, you know. And over over here, it was heavy metal all the fucking way. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I remember in high school, there were kids. Every year was different. You see the same kid, he would be... You know, like this rocker. Then the next year, he would be a punk. He would have his head shaved. Yeah. Then the next year, he would be a new romantic or new Hello? wave guy, you know, wearing... Or mod. Mod was the big thing. He would be on a little Vespa with that big jacket with the who patch on the back. It's like, what are you now? And every year, it would be a different... Uh, <laughs>
Uh oh, did someone get disconnected? I think we lost. No, I'm, I'm okay. I'm back. I, uh, oh, I don't okay. know what happened. I'm here. I heard some yeah. German lady in the background. I'm going. Yeah, yeah. something about not the my place, unfortunately. Is that your masseuse there, Alex? <laughs> wow. Good one. Dude, there's so much to talk about. I mean, after thirty, there, you know, you know, thirty-five and, years. And I know Bob. I know you kind of also wanted to talk about the, the German bands that had been around forever and ever, and and I kind of used this. Uh, opportunity to revisit some of the some of the German music throughout the the decades, mm. and uh, the one that that I uncovered, by the way, and Alex, I don't would let me know what you think of this, but the earliest that I could find of a truly heavy German band was a band called Weed with a song called Sweet Morning Light. Ken Hensley is a guest stars on keyboards on that. It is was released in 1971 or two. And it's one of the heaviest songs from a German band I have ever heard, even through today. Well, now you're going way back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a little older than you, you know. But you yes. think the first Lucifer's Friend album was heavy? Listen to Weed. Look it up on yeah. uh, on YouTube. Weed, Sweet Morning Light. It, yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, you know, then you had the Scorpions. You know, and the funny thing is, the Scorpions in the '70s they were worth nothing over here in Germany. You know. And they had to go to Japan and cut Tokyo tapes, you know, to make the German public aware. Hey, look, there's this band from Hanover who's making it big in Japan. Yeah, you know? right. And, and they were not on the radio. They were not so much on television sometimes with Uli Roth, you know, and We'll Burn the Sky and all this stuff, you know. And then basically when Love Drive in 79 came out with Michael Schenker, and uh, I talked to Michael Schenker, and he would he would totally destroy his brother Rudolph, you know? Yeah, that's a weird thing. He had nothing. He said Rudolph was standing in front of the mirror all the time, combing his hair, wanting (laughs) to look like Elvis, and I was the one practicing guitar. Yeah. (laughs) And then he got ripped off, you know, because uh, Rudolph got the songwriting credits for uh, the tracks from Love Drive and stuff, you know, and well... Uh, but that started, and then there was obviously one of the most ex- ex- important bands ever to come out of Germany was Accept, you know, oh, yes. with the Breaker album and especially Restless and Wild. I mean, we all, I think we all remember when we put on Fast the Restless and Wild for yeah. the very first time, you know, and you get the Heidi, Heido, Heida, and the Scratch. Oh, yeah. And the scream from hell. That, that was a game changer. That album was a true that was game, a game changer. changer. That, that was about, that was the fastest song Absolutely. that I had ever heard up to date. Yeah. Because, you know, when you when you go back into the 70s, and, and you know, we had our share of, of hard rock bands that, that we were all fans of, UFO, Thin Lizzy, all those, but they tended to come out of, out of England. The German bands back then, you know, every we've all heard that expression Krautrock, right? Yeah. Which were these kind of jazzy, progressive bands like... Uh, boring, boring. Control, yeah. Guru Guru. Uh, boring. Yeah. Robschnitt, <laughs> yeah. They were very, they were they were pretty boring. But then then I, I did enjoy some of those more heavier prog, proto-metal bands, you know. I mean, obviously started Lucifer's Friend, but bands like Jane, Eloy, and Epitaph... Mm. Uh, they were not bad. They were not bad bands that kind of set a little bit on that stage for uh, what was later to come. That's right. Yeah, a lot of that in England, too. I mean, you remember the old UFO? They call it more space rock before Shanker joined. Boogie for 
shorts, yeah. Yeah, the early UFO, and even Hawkwind. And yeah, that was kind of that real hippie-ish, right. spacey, progressive rock. I guess that was really but huge But then Schenker, Schenker changed it in 74. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the first German band that actually played hard rock, kind of more direct kind of style, was a band called Bastard with an album Tearing Nights. Hmm. Uh, that came out in like 77, 78. That was, I think it, it, it almost feel like it influenced the very first Accept album. If you, if you play those side by side, you hear, you hear some similarities. That kind of got the ball rolling. But yeah, the new wave of British heavy metal certainly had an impact on the German scene when and gave you know bands like the Scorpions Accept uh, a whole new stage. Trance, you know, Bonfire, Warlock eventually came along. That was kind of the start. There of, was uh, that time I remember Halloween broke with the walls of Jericho, and then after that, like you said, you had all these bands. There was a band called the Breaker in in Germany. There was a, yeah. a Steeler. I remember there was a Cuddy Sark. Uh, there were like so many um, so trance. But the course. bands, but but the bands that made it bigger came earlier, and they they came parallel to our magazines. Yes, and they yeah. were. They were Creator, yep. they were Destruction, Sodom. and they were Sodom, yeah. and very special to me, Hellhammer, okay? That's and I was pen pals with all these guys, and and Running Wild, not to forget Running Wild, sure. you yeah, know, they yeah. were... Grave yeah. Digger. They were very important, and we all featured them in our magazine, the early issues. And the highlight was, in our second issue, they, it came out in the fall of 83, I got a demo tape from, from Switzerland, from Nurensdorf, close to Zurich. It was by a guy, a guy called Tom Borier. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was Triumph of Death, demo tape from Hellhammer. And at the time, we wanted to have the most brutal bands, you know, the most, the <laughs> fastest, most brutal, whatever bands, you know, heavier than Venom and Tank, you know, and faster than Raven, whatever, you know. So I got that tape, and I, and I loved the artwork, you know, uh, uh, the, the production wasn't so great, you know, but it was brutal and nobody knew it. And we were, I don't know about you guys, but in Germany, we wanted always to be the ones that have the newest bands that nobody knew. <laughs> of course. Yeah. That's yeah. I think John was more in line with me. We were uh, more into the more melodic, heavy. I mean, we, yeah. I, I love the thrash. Yeah, yeah. When it came to the real death kind of stuff, it's funny because Tom Warrior was a pen pal of, of, of mine early on, and of I think I passed us, it. Of all of us. Yeah. All of us. I mean, he, he, was, was, he was a true fan, Tom. He, he knew was, everyone. Exactly. My he partner, was, Fid, who was a great writer, he was kind of my partner in Headbanger. He loved the heavier stuff. So he would write on about Exodus and Sodom and Destruction, and, and I passed yeah. him over, I think, to Tom. And uh, he and Tom became really close. And I, Tom actually credits the Headbanger for one of the very first articles on, on Apocalyptic. Yeah, but, I think you know, we're the, all on there. I think yeah. we're all on there. Yeah. <laughs> now, now to, to end the story, you know, I got that tape. I made the story. You know, it was the very first ever story on Hellhammer worldwide <laughs> that I did, and and uh, and I'm very grateful because yeah. Tom remembers that in yeah, yeah, uh, Only does. Death Is Real, the big book. You know, he's a good uh, dude. The yeah. whole story is very accurate. Very yeah. accurate. Yeah, yeah. I read and, that. Uh, that Ian Christie I, I myself book, was yeah. definitely also more in the more, more melodic stuff, but Metal Rendezvous was actually became known for featuring a lot of the European bands and we did features on bands like uh, uh, of course Accept and Trans and uh, right. Avenger who later became Rage uh, of course right. Run Wild May uh, I just finish uh, yeah. Fred may I just finish that story real quick with Hellhammer okay 
So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the little student, you know, sitting at my desk, and I get a call from Berlin from Noise Records, okay, who had seen my fanzine. And it was Carl Ulrich, you know, the, the, he was like the, 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 the boss of Noise Records. And he said, Alex, you are that young heavy metal journalist. Uh, what are the heaviest bands that you know? And I said, well, the heaviest band is Hellhammer from Switzerland. <laughs> oh, do you have a number for me? I said, sure. So I gave him the number. He called Tom. They made the second demo, Satanic Rites, and there got the record deal for Acapolitic Race. Wow. Yeah. So that, you know, that's how I was involved, you know. And uh, six years ago, the funny thing is, even though he's from Switzerland, real close, we had never met in person, okay? And we had lost contact, you know, and then through Facebook also we got back in touch. And then he was with his new band, Trypticon, outside of Munich in a studio, and that's six years ago, and that's when we met for the first time, you know. <laughs> yeah. That was really emotional. I remember uh, another demo uh, coming out of Canada was the very first Voivod demo, which came out shortly after that, and that kind of brought in that new wave. And I remember that was similar to Hellhammer. The production was just real yes. poor, and it was, sounded like it was just recorded from a, a ghetto blaster, but had, you know, Blower and the song yes. Voivod and like a three songs. And I was like, Fid just loved that. And it was kind of the start of that really uh, new, real kind of heavy, thrashy kind of sound. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I always, um, I'm, I'm also a very big melodic fan, okay? I'm a huge YNT fan, you know? Yeah. And I always will, I will always admit, okay, even though this is not maybe correct, whatever, you know, I love docking under lock and key, you know? I enjoy some Motley Crue, I enjoy some Red, even the so-called poser bands, you know. Right. I'm free, you know. I'm not like a death metal fanatic or whatever, you know. Y&T is one of my all-time favorite bands. Alex, Alex, I think that uh, that also uh, is a characteristics of not just the three of us, but many of the people that have, you know, pushed heavy metal from a fan perspective, whether through fanzines or magazines, that we were open to the different styles. I mean... You look at Metal Rendezvous, we featured everybody, you know. We, oh, yeah. We, we had Fiona, of all people, posing our right. t-shirt, right, for us. But um, Nobody and, remembers her, though. And, <laughs> her and Kip Winger and together. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and on the other end of the spectrum, that one band that, from the real heavy ones that's really dear to me, of course, is Holy Moses, who uh, I became really yeah. good friends with, with, uh, of course, Sabina right. herself, but also with Uli Kush, who later went on to Halloween still good friends with them and actually he was managing them for a while here in the u.s so uh, i mean we we had we did cover the entire spectrum not just the real heavy bands but you had gary moore to cover uh, yeah we did yeah well you know the interesting thing is you know at stred and i you know we doing the uh bay area godfathers and the new inside metal movies you like the way i just throw those plugs in there uh, but you know all the bands that you talk to they everyone grew up on the same music you know UFO right. Judas Priest you know Zeppelin Sabbath Deep Purple uh, whether you were a thrash Rainbow. band or a melodic you know a uh, rock band of the 80s you know everyone grew up on the same 70s bands from Aerosmith to you yeah. know to Deep Purple and that's how it was back then and then it kind of got the separated when when the thrash became the hip thing after you know Motorhead and then of course Venom came out 
and then you know bands went one direction or another. But you know, even back in LA in the in the clubs, you know, Slayer would play with all the they call now the hair metal bands. You know, most of these bands were cover bands back then too. You know, Slayer were Metallica essentially were. They covered new wave of British heavy metal songs, but which yeah. nobody knew, but they were essentially a cover band. And you know, everyone kind of started from the same area, and it really was yeah. these classic seventies hard rock and metal bands that influenced everything that followed. Exactly. And one band that we have to mention is a band that was featured and it pushed by you, Bob. That's one of the greatest heavy metal bands of all time, Armored Saint. Ah, yes. I'm glad you said that. I remember I was pushing their demo like crazy and I remember sending it oh, to man. you and, and to all the other uh, fanzines. And yeah, I always thought they were uh, one of the first bands around the same time Metallica started. And yeah. Armored Saint just had this, you know, you know, Metallica obviously had the heavy thrash songs and all that. But when Metallica started out in L.A., they were still pretty amateur. They came right out at the bat, you know, played their first show at Radio City. And the band wasn't even together. I mean, they were together yeah, less yeah. than a few months. I mean, when I first saw Armored Saint, their first show at the Woodstock, which is actually the first time I saw them was actually before Joey Vera was in the band. Uh, and even wow. back then, it was just this unit seeing, you know, John Bush and Dave Pritchard and just the way the band played yeah. their stage presence. They were like a mini Iron Maiden up on stage. It's like, holy shit. The impact yeah. they made was was just yeah. amazing. And they had these cool outfits, you know. They oh, looked yeah. pretty professional. You had great hair, you know, yeah. a great headbanging hair, not poser hair, you know. And they had these cool uh, warrior outfits, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember March of the Saint, Delirious Nomad, when they, when they came out, you know. And I have a letter here from John Bush, you know. He, he, he sent me back in 85 a handwritten letter saying, Alex, here's some merchandise, you know, and thank you for the interview. And we're working on a new album, Delirious Nomad, coming out pretty soon. I hope you like it, blah, blah, blah. And last year, he was at Bang Your Head Festival, which is one of the coolest heavy metal festivals sure. in Germany. It's got like 20,000 people, so it's not as huge as Matt Wacken, you know, right. but uh, it's, it's in the south of Germany, not too far away from Munich, where I am, you know, so uh, Armored Saint played there, you know, so I brought the original letter from like 35 years ago to, <laughs> to, to show John Bush, you know, so the letter was written when he still had hair, you know, and, uh, right. <laughs> and <laughs> he freaked out, you know, and they put on an amazing show with all the heavy yeah. stuff, you they know, still do. Man. You know, the, the, our, still... our, our metal rendezvous set was a huge fan too. You know, we did a, uh, a cover. We did an Armored Saint cover with metal rendezvous became our yeah. biggest at the time. We sold 50,000 copies of that magazine at that what? time. Metal wow. rendezvous. When we finished, uh, the last issue we put out was the Megadeth cover. We sold 125,000 copies of that. Wow. So, wow. That's amazing. That. Yeah. yeah. And then there was Metal Church, obviously, and oh, Queensryche. Yeah. You know, I'm a massive Queensryche fan. Yeah. Uh, that's also a fantastic story. I, I was a... Uh, I remember the day when, when I got... The demo tape, Queen of the Reich, okay? So that song, Queen of the Reich, I listened back-to-back -back 38 times. 38 <laughs> times back-to-back -back Queen of the Reich. Yeah, I was mad. I was... So... And then I got the address of Kim Harris, who ran the 206 record store up in Seattle. Yeah. And we became pen pals, you know? And he sent me the original me vinyl yeah. from 206 records that you all also have, you know? Mm -hmm. And in 84, they came to Germany for the first time, opening up for Dio. Mm. on the last in line. And uh, I went there in Mannheim. I, 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 I got to know where the hotel was, where they stayed. And I met Kim Harris there, you know, because he and his wife, 
they were managing the band and they were traveling out of the record store came that record and that was amazing and i i took a picture with the guys in 84 you know and in uh and in the following years, you know, uh, always met them, you know, Chris DeGarmo and Joff, you know, greatest guys ever, you know, and all the albums up to Empire are amazing, incredible albums, I think. You know, being in, uh, you know, I lived in Orange County, which is just south of L.A., but we would go up to, you know, the Hollywood clubs and the country club all the time, and that was the premier club, and all these bands, early on, before they got signed their big record deals, like when Queensryche, had that EP out on 206 Records, they came out yeah. to the country club, and it was huge. It was a big show. It was amazing. We saw them. I we mean, saw... Bob, you were, I mean, you were at the source, okay? <laughs> at Germany was nowhere land, you know? I mean, this was nothing, you know? And and we were happy to have an, a Judas Priest show or to have an ACDC show or to get a Scorpion show, but you were right where it happened, yeah, I mean, it was cool because we did. I mean, obviously, we saw all the great local bands at the clubs, the Hollywood clubs, the country club. They'd come down to, you know, Orange County, whether it be Armored Saint, Malice, you know, Slayer, wow. you know, Savage Grace, all those bands. But you had, you know, Merciful Fate and Exciter came out and played the country club. Loudness came down for the first time wow. and played the country. So they came out early on. And I was, yeah, you're right. It was at the right place at the right time. We caught them early on before these bands mm. broke. Yngwie Malmsteen with Steeler, you know, when he first came mm. over. They did uh, uh, yeah. the Country Club in Radio City in Anaheim. And, yeah. you know, I, I I didn't realize, you know, back then you don't realize seeing all these bands yeah. and, you know, the Motley Crue's and all that. And, of course, Metzia Metallica and the, and the clubs played just a handful of people in L.A. You, you don't know. You know, you don't realize that you're seeing something historic in the making. You're just going because you're a metal fan and you just love the music. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but but and, it's great. Hey, that you know, you... Alex, it's the other way around, too. We, we, You know, yeah, we got all of these bands. But then when I saw what was going on in Europe at the time, I wish I would have seen Destruction in the early days or, or right. even right. before that, Trance. You know, when we heard Accept, they didn't come here till till later on. We really wanted to see those bands, uh... but you know, uh, with all res with all due respect, you know, for for me, especially, I mean, talking for me, okay, being German, for me, the fascination was always the British bands and the American bands. Yeah, it's right. always what you not have, exactly. Maybe, you know, <laughs> and, and so I mean, I respect Creator and Sodom Running Wild and 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 uh, Destruction, you know, and we featured them in the magazine. We helped them, you know. I wrote the very first ever article on Sodom. That's a fact. You know, they didn't even have a record out, okay? But the American bands, you know, or, me, a, band you know, like or a band like Sorty Lay from, from, uh, from, from, uh, from France, you know, and H-Bomb, you know, and Merciful Fate. This is where we ran into a bit of technical difficulties. For the next couple minutes, there was this crazy echo on the recording. So I had to cut about two minutes out of the conversation and then call them back, and we continue here. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. It I don't know. It just went beep, beep, beep. I was gone. Yeah. yeah. Same here. No, no problem. So go go ahead, and I forgot where we left off. The just conversation I had with Lars at the gas station. So that, that's how we became friends. And actually, when the, uh, when Metallica played their very first show in San Francisco, they came by Monterey to uh, pick me up, and I went up, to, up with them. Good days. And I think, you know, that, you know, Metallica... It's my number one band uh, ever, you know, um, because of the history, you know, that I, I got that demo tape. And I remember when I got that demo tape back, it must have been very early 83. 
Kill 'Em All came out in July of '83, so it was maybe January, February that I got, and we had not heard Metallica, we had not seen a picture of them, nothing, you know. And I got that tape, and I called up my five headbanger friends in, in my hometown. Okay, I said, guys, you gotta stop by my place. I gotta play you something. So these <laughs> guys crammed up in my room, you know. And at the time, we were listening to Tank and Accept and Motorhead, you know, and Saxon, like we all do, Maiden. And I put in the tape and hit the lights came on, you know, and we were like thrashing and the, and the term thrashing wasn't even out. <laughs> and we were uh, headbanging to the songs and it was five tracks in Metal Militia, Fan Lord, whatever. And, uh, and at the end of the tape, we were all like totally gobsmacked, like, wow, what is this, you know? And I said, guys, this band is so heavy and so fast, I'm sure they will never get a record deal. <laughs> yeah. Good, I'm not an A&R guy, right? <laughs> well, I think a lot of, you know, most of those bands started independently because no major records would sign, especially the thrash At the time, bands. yeah. 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 Thank so, God for so labels can... like, uh, you know, like Shrapnel Records and Megaforce and Metal Blade and, of course, the German labels Noise and Neat Records out of England. You know, yeah. otherwise, if labels like Neat weren't around, you wouldn't really have a new wave of British heavy metal or heavy metal records or Ebony. You know, none of the major labels were signing. Uh, you know, of, of course, EMI signed you know Iron Maiden and stuff early on, but it was very limited on, on the bands that they would sign. So most of it was done independently. Right. So I think, you know, that we can be so glad that we have been there when heavy metal really got going, you know, and we were even a part of like, we were even a part of it. We were absolutely. And it, it's, you know, know, right place at the right time. You know, even even though we were all from different corners of the world, we were still at the right place at the right time. (laughs) Absolutely. And, 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 you know, so it's so uniting, you know, we were all into the same stuff, you know, being in different corners of the world, you know, we were all, we had the same thing, you know, in our DNA, and uh, today, like a couple of years ago, after I got finished with Bravo, just for fun, you know, I re- revived my, my shock power. And as you do these days, I did a Facebook page. And I called it uh, Shock Power Rising. So all the listeners, you know, that are maybe interested, they could check out Shock Power Rising on Facebook. And you see all the old metal photos, the old records, you know, and then from the magazine, all the old covers and stuff, you know. And I got people from all over the world. I have about 1,800, I think, 1,800 wow. followers, you know. And they are from Greece. They are from Bulgaria. They are from America. They are from South America, obviously, where they are total crazy metalheads, you know. Sure. Uh, Chile, uh, Brazil, Mexico, you know. And uh, so it's great, you know, to, to have that community back. Absolutely. Now you fired me, Alex. Now, now I should do the same thing with the Metal Rendezvous page. Yeah, you should. I mean, Bob, Bob, do you know my page, Shock Power Rising, I, on Facebook? I think I'm following you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, not, I am. Not my private page, but Shock Power Rising. Yeah, yeah, I've got that. You know, and, and, and you can do that with the headbanger, you know, show all the old stories, you know. I mean, I'm showing the very, I, I wrote the first Slayer story. I, I got that letter from Stephen. Uh, Stephen Craig. Stephen, uh, what's Craig. his name? Stephen Craig. Right, right. He he sent the you know platinum platinum management whatever. Yeah. <laughs> out of Cudahy, Cudahy, California. Cudahy. And yeah. uh, and he sent me a photo, you know, and uh, and we put in the first ever uh, Slayer story, 
it's incredible, you know. I'm I'm so happy that I was there at the time when it happened, you know. And today, when I, with no disrespect, you know, but bands like Sabaton, you know, and all these Power Wolf and right. all the new breed of heavy metal. Of course, there are good ones like Night Demon, you know. Jarvis, yeah, he's a cool guy, you know. Very, guy, yeah. he's like us, you know. Yeah, just totally. a little younger, you know. Yeah. But Jarvis is just like us, you know. Absolutely. Um, but but all these new big bands, you know, they do nothing for me. I must admit. You know, a lot of it to me has to do with the production too. There was something about that raw analog production of those right. early metal albums from the 80s, whether it be the new wave of British heavy metal or the German bands or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. just had this warm feel. Now everything, it's just like, you know, all the limits are pushed to the to the T and it's just this bombardment of this very digital sound. That's why I like some of those bands that do kind of play a little more of that retro stuff. I mean, one of my favorite bands right now is Lucifer, right? I mean, they, they, they're... Their look, their feel, their sound. Yeah, yeah. Any band with a female singer is going to get John Stranaski's vote. <laughs> no, no, not quite, not quite. There, there's some other. I know. I just, ones. I love teasing you about that, John. You know that. <laughs> I, uh, if I should be brutally honest, I would say the heavy metal years, and and even to make it a uh, make it a wider spectrum. Okay, for me, the heavy metal years were 1978, Judas Priest, Stained Glass, yeah. to 1988, Justice for All, and Queensryche, Operation Mindcrime. <laughs> that those 10 years, in, and, and to, make, to make it uh, smaller, the range, it would be 79 to 85, or 86. Masterful. That was the prime. Those were 1980, 81, 82, unbeatable. Yeah. Unbeatable. Well, after 86, 87, especially here in L.A., because, you know, even the old L.A. bands, whether you, you like them or not, the you know, Motley Crue's Rats, that was before the trend started of, of the glam thing. And, you know, those bands started heavier. Rat was kind of a, more of a Judas Priest meets, meets Aerosmith kind of sounding band and, and the early stuff. And then it kind of evolved into the MTV thing. And after 86, when it came to 87, 88... That's when you got all the copycat bands and all the bands sounded the same and looked alike and were doing the power ballads. And, and that's really yeah. when I think it got lost yeah. was after 86. It got watered down. It, it got did. watered down. We all remember the formula, right? You, you put out the heavy song, then you put it, you know, to attract the guys, then right. you put out the ballads so, to yeah. attract the girls, and then you put out the live, live performance video, right? I mean, every band did that in the late 80s. And that's you know, the, the charming thing is always whether you make a magazine or you have a band and, and make a demo tape, you know, the charming thing is always when you are a pioneer. You don't know how it's done, yet you still do it. I didn't know how to put together a magazine. We did it. A band cuts a demo tape, yeah. as, as did you, you know. We're all in the same boat. A band doesn't know how to make a demo, but they do it, you know. So And they have not, nothing to look up to because in the early bands from the 70s, you had like Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, you know, but they were all kind of washed out back in the late 70s, you yeah. know. Led Zeppelin were over, Deep Purple were over, you know, Black Sabbath, Aussie left, you know. So they were all over. And then that was the hour of Iron Maiden and all these bands. And that's when we came in, you know, and yeah. we didn't, and we were there. I mean, in school, I was an outcast because I was into heavy metal. Yeah, All me the too. chicks, you know, yeah. the chicks, they were into the police, you know, and sure. into Blondie yeah. and Super Tramp, you know, and all these bands, you know, Alan Parsons, Project, whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and Duran Duran and, and what have you. 
as a heavy metal fan, listening, coming with an Iron Maiden or Kiss T-shirt, you were an outcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it was something very special, very elitist. You know, a very small group of heavy metal, but they were super committed to it. You know, and that's what what made it so special. You know, and later on. And talking about the bands later, you know, they could look up to Metallica, they could look up to all the bands that made it big. Okay, that's how you do it. You know, Alex, it's funny you say that because I, I had a similar experience. I, I went to high school in the late 70s, which was even worse. You know, that's when back in on, on that among the teenagers, the, it was the disco era and the punk era. So I, I was uh, the outcast there. That's why... I think uh, Bill Hale and I formed such such a tight bond because we were the very few people that were into the same thing, and you know he's still one of my best friends, and ended up taking all the all the photographs from Metal Rendezvous. So we need to get him into our family reunion as well when when we do this. Absolutely, so. we'll we'll get him on. I got to get Bill on a future podcast as well, so we'll work on that. But you're you're so right about the fanzines because we I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and me <laughs> I wasn't a writer, I wasn't a journalist, I. I had no idea, and I was. I mean, I read back at some of those old headbanger fanzines, and it's fucking embarrassing, <laughs> you know, some of this <laughs> yeah. stuff. Uh, but we so didn't know we better. I, I, in the grammatical errors in the back then, yeah. I think when you we, guys were I'll better never... than me. I, I, but you know, again, I took a lot of my cue from Ron Quintana's magazine. And the fact that he could just paste stuff in there and it didn't have to be oh, perfect. He could throw in little handwritten stuff. And it's like, this is cool. This is kind of cool. It's like, I could do this. This is, you know, nothing was professionally typeset. Like, I think Slagle's Magazine, New Heavy Metal Review, that was real pro. It was all really typeset and nice. Well, and- not in the beginning. The very first issue was was written with the hand. Yeah. I, I, I still don't have that first issue. I I. Remember buying number three when it came out? Yeah, yeah. Riot on he the had cover. a typing. He had typing and stuff, you know. Right, and right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah, we yeah. all evolved. We all evolved. One of our early issues, we were pretty fortunate because Bill Hale's mom, this is kind of a, a weird secret about Metal Rendezvous, Bill Hale's mom worked as a cleaning lady in a lawyer's office. Wow. So we snuck in there with a bunch of six packs of beer at, late at night and used their copy machine wow. to, run, <laughs> to run all the early issues of Metal Rendezvous. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I always wondered why, how I was losing money because I would print up the magazine, I would sell it for a dollar, and then I would mail it to Germany, which cost me a dollar twenty back then. <laughs> and it's like, why, why am I losing money? I, I didn't yeah, have an yeah. accountant back then. I couldn't figure it out. But you know, uh, I made a little money with with the taping. You know, the tape trading. You know, right? Because I also I sold. I I did not only trade. We all had these heavy metal lists. You know, and you would sure. add with the typewriter. You know. Angel Witch, 1981, Blackpool Live, you know, yeah. and and all the demo tapes and stuff. And then I got orders, you know, from, from other fans, you know, I want this, I want that. And then I had a double deck uh, tape re- right. machine, you know, and I, 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 I recorded the demo tapes and send them out, you know. And that's how I made a little money on the side. You know, that's how we, that's what we invested into Shock Power. I remember that was like the greatest invention ever, the dual tape deck, where you could yes. just dub <laughs> yes. and you could do a double speed. Remember that? Yeah. You, know. you remember what they put on some of those professional cassette tapes, right? Tape copying kills the music yes. industry. Remember how they used to put that I on remember the remember that. Yeah. But I remember um, I had a very cheap record player, okay? I'd, you know, and I had a friend who invested like $2,000 into a nice system, you know? That's and a lot of he money had, He had three records. He had Black Sabbath, Mob Rules, 
Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast, and Screaming for Vengeance from Judas Priest, which are fantastic all-time classics. Oh, yeah. But those were the three poor records that were standing in his room. And I had this very cheap record player, but I had 200 records. <laughs> <laughs> so I invested the money, not in the sound, but into the music. Yeah. And, and I didn't have a lot of money. I don't know about you, you know, but I'm coming from a normal family, you know, so I had my pocket money, which was... So every record that I bought, and you couldn't listen to it beforehand. You didn't know what was... Was it good or not, you know? So you, you really thought about, what am I going to buy? And at the time, I remember, you know, with my friend, you know, okay, you're going to buy Screaming for Vengeance, and I'm going to buy Number of the Beast. And then we swap <laughs> it, and we tape it. That's exactly what we did, especially when <laughs> the imports came out, because imports yeah. were so expensive, and we wanted all the new wave of British have metal and all the new bands that were coming out of Europe and Holland. Yes. So for us to spend, you know, $10, $11 on a record, that was a lot. So we would do yes. the same. We we would buy certain records. I would buy, like, the Angel Witch, Tigers of Pantang. He would buy, you know, other records, and we would go home and tape them off each other. And, and eventually we ended up wanting to buy the records once we had money because Back then, it was yes. the ownership. To own the album, you know, was Absolutely. was something, you know, cool. So we would end up buying it back on vinyl and then buying it on CD when it came out. So And now you have to buy the remastered reissue with 27 bonus tracks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the box set and yeah. spent 150 I remember, and I still remember the date even, okay? It was December 3rd, 1981. And in, in, in Ludwigshafen, there was a festival called the Heavy Metal Charger. It was opening Def Leppard, Accept, and Judas Priest. Oh, wow. So it was High and Dry. It was Restless. No, it was Breaker and Point of Entry. And I love Point of Entry. A lot of people don't like Point of Entry. I love Point of Entry, too, you know. A big Priest fan. So that concert, okay, so we saved up the money for the ticket, you know, like I, I bought the ticket like six, seven weeks prior to the show and put it on my pin wall, you know, and, and waited every day for the show to happen. But once at the show, I remember being in the front of the stage, in the center of stage, from the first act except to Def Leppard to Judas Priest and did not leave the spot, but I had no money to buy the T-shirt. And that was heartbreaking. That was heartbreaking not to buy the tour shirt. That was the thing is, yeah, you had to have the, the shirt. I mean, that was, you know, you had to show yeah. off the next day at school. I was there. Yeah. I was at the UFO show. You know, I was, you know, yeah. yeah. But back yeah. then it was great. I mean, I remember back when it started, tour shirts were like $6, $7, you know, which. Oh, I, no, no, not in Germany. No. They cost more than a record. They were like 20, 25 Deutschmarks. Wow. Even which now. is like 20, 25 bucks, you know, yeah. and, uh. And so that was a lot of money. And uh, you, would, you would think, okay, am I going to buy the new uh, Black Sabbath or am I going to buy the T-shirt? You know, uh, you really had to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But hey, it's great. I'm so happy. I can't stress how happy I am. You know, I'm now 54 years of age, you know, and nobody wants to get old, blah, 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 you know. But to look back and say, hey, I was young when all these bands happened, you know, and I was... Yeah involved and I was there and I met them and I met all of them <clears throat> makes me so happy you know that I'm very glad you know and then sometimes I look at today's 15 year olds and I hope they're having fun you know and they're having a good time uh, which they're obviously entitled to you know but I would not trade 
at all. Absolutely. And you know what I love about you, Alex, is it shows that you have this passion for metal music. And you're someone that has become a celebrity in in your own right. You hang out with the biggest celebrities, whether it be the pop stars and movie stars. I see your pictures, you know, with you and Michael Jackson, all these people together. But still, your heart, even though you've met some of the biggest pop stars, your heart is still in heavy metal. You still have that same passion as you did 30 years ago. And that's the cool thing about metal fans. I mean, you could be, you know, a multimillionaire lawyer or whatever. But, you know, you you start talking to these guys about metal. It's it's still that same passion as it was. And and I don't think any other music form really has that. To me, it's a brotherhood, you know. It's a brotherhood, you know. And it's so funny sometimes, you know. I meet some people, you know, and and, and somebody, and, and, and the guy says, yeah, you know, I used to like heavy metal. You know, I used to have all the Iron yeah, Man records. Yeah. I said, what? What? <laughs> you used to? You used to have? Where right. are they now? You know, oh, well, that's a long time ago. I grew up okay. now. I got a family with kids. I can't be listening to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. As Joe Perry once said it, once a rocker, always a rocker. <laughs> Very true. Very and if true. it's too loud, you're too old. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or as Lemmy said, if you think you're old to rock and roll, then you probably are. <laughs> <laughs> so you're still going to a lot of concerts out in Germany, huh, Alex? A lot well, of festivals? I, 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 I don't go to that many. You know, I have like every year I go to bang your head because of Corona. Obviously, worldwide, sure. uh, this year's festivals get canceled. The Rock Hard Festival, Wacken, and Bang Your Head, you know, and Keep It True, you know. Yeah. Those are the four most, most important uh, heavy metal festivals over in Germany. And i I never been to Wacken. It's too huge. I don't like too many bands, yeah. you know. But I always go to Bang Your Head. I've been to Keep It True, but at Bang Your Head, uh, it's, it's in a rural area, like an hour south of Stuttgart, and uh, you have about fifteen to 20,000 fans, and you hang out in the backstage area, and you have loudness playing, you know, you have Death Angel playing, you have, uh, um, you have Metal Church, Michael Schenk, uh, Twisted Sister, you know, they yeah. all come there, you know, you meet all these guys, and Armored Saint, and Vicious Rumors, you know, so all these bands are coming there, you know, it's like a huge family festival. But other than that, you know, if Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest would come as was planned, I'd go, you know, and to, and I'd see White Snake and Metallica, you know, but um, and Rose Tattoo, which is a favorite of mine, oh, you know. Yeah. But um, I don't go to every show. I'm, I'm, I'm I have over I don't a thousand either. shows, yeah. over a thousand shows because of my 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 job, you know. So uh, I've seen them all, you know. But a fantastic show was last June. The reunion of Rainbow uh, with Ronnie Romero singing. That's when I met Richie Blackmore, and I was in front. I was in the photo pit. I had a, I had a special pass, you know, access all areas. So I, the whole show, I stood at Olympia Halle. I stood the whole show in the photo pit, right in front of Blackmore, you know. Wow. And he was in such a fantastic mood. He was even smiling on stage. The fans came out, they had all their rainbow shirts on, you know, a very devoted crowd, you know, and he played all the classics, and he had all the huge album covers, Long Live Rock and Roll Rising, you know, Down to Earth, he had all in the big backdrop, you know, to every song that he played, that he had the huge covers in the back, and John Lord, you know, when, when he did like Perfect Strangers from Deep Purple, 
and Child in Time, you know, there was a huge picture of John Lord in the back, you know. Oh, that wow. was a show to remember. Wow, that's awesome. He yeah. hasn't played in America with, with that line. No, he right? hasn't. Has not. That was really good. I was totally amazed. Wow. You know? okay. and, and, and the funny thing was, I had done two interviews, like, uh, three years ago and one and a half years ago, but they were on the telephone. With Richard. You know, I spoke with him on the telephone, and he was fantastic. You know, he was very good. And I, 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 and I, I live in Munich, not too far away from Musicland Studios, where mm -hmm. Deep Purple recorded Stormbringer sure. and Rainbow recorded uh, Rising. Rising. You know, it's just around my corner, you know. And I talked to, to him about that, and he said to me, Alex, you know a lot. <laughs> so that, yeah, that was like being knighted, you know, from from Richie Blackmore, you know. And then the show came up, and I said, I gotta have a picture with Richie Blackmore, you know. He's missing in my collection, you know. Right. I need to meet him. I need to meet him. I got Eddie Van Halen. I got Jimmy Page. I got Angus Young, uh, uh, Shanker, and Gary Moore, you know. But I got no Richie Blackmore. And I talked to him on the phone, and he was great. And when I got backstage, you know, the organizer said, Alex, uh, nobody dares to ask Richie if he wants to take a picture. Nobody, uh, you know, because he's so moody, you know, right. and nobody wants to get near him. They're all afraid. <laughs> so I waited for after the show. I saw him go on stage and he had a very grim look on his face. He came with a bodyguard, walked on stage, passed me. And of course, I didn't hit, hit him up. You know, he wants to go on stage and play a concert. That'd be a bad idea, you know. And and, uh, and after the show, I waited for two hours, and then he came out with Candice. They pulled the car, a Range Rover, right to the door where he came out. And it was inside the arena, in a, like a garage, in a huge garage type of thing, and I was there, you know. So when he walked out, I hit him up. I said, hey, Richie, excuse me, my name is Alex, uh, and we did a telephone interview. And he shook my hand, but he kept, kept walking towards the car, you know. He didn't stop. He was polite, but he kept on walking. So I walked with him and I said, Richie, would you please mind uh, having a picture taken? He said, no, no problem, you know. And then we took a picture. Oh, I waited wow. two hours. <laughs> well, that was but, worth the wait. And, and, and listen, listen, listen. Uh, before, I was really afraid. You know why? Because I imagine, you know, I'm a huge fan of all things Blackmore. Rainbow, Deep Purple, the whole nine yards, okay? I'm a huge, huge admirer. On the phone, he was fantastic. Now, I meet him in person. And now imagine he'd be the total a-hole, okay? If he'd be like, leave me alone, I'm not interested, get off, get, get away, fuck off, you know, whatever, you know? And then my dreams would have been destroyed in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I could listen to the music anymore, you know. So that was a very dangerous thing to do, if you if you get me, you know. No, I know. But, when you meet your heroes yeah. and their assholes, it's a huge disappointment. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I have only good uh, experiences, thank God, you know. Gene Simmons was cool, you know. All these guys that are a little bit, uh, you know. I mean, Ronnie James Dio is a sweetheart. Absolutely. We all know that, you know. And he was always cool. He was maybe the coolest of all, you know, and Angus oh, yeah. Young, you know. But Gene Simmons, you know. He was cool, you know, Blackmore was cool, you know, so it's very, very important that the guys that you admire don't behave bad. Well, that was going to lead me to the next question. I was going to ask if you ran into who was the biggest asshole <laughs> you met well, and interviewed, if you want to get into that. Imagine, the, the biggest letdown I had was back in 85, you know, I bought the Rising Force record, you know. Uh, and Why does that not first, surprise me? <laughs> And at first, I was a bit disappointed because it, it had only two tracks with vocals, you know. Right. 
uh, it was all instrumental. I mean, they were great, you know. Uh, Iker's Dream Suite, Opus 4, you know, and all that stuff, you know. But then the show came. He came to Germany. He played, Ingrid played in Frankfurt in a small club. And after the club, my friends, we, we drove back to the, we found out what hotel he stayed in, you know. So we, we met him in the hotel. And I told him that I was a huge fan, you know. Uh, I had the Alcatraz No Parole record. I had the Steeler Cold Day in Hell, you know. Right. And the demo tapes from Rising Force from Sweden, you know. And then we took a picture, and Jens Johansson and Anders Johansson were there too, you know. Oh, they were great. in the band, yeah. obviously. And we took that picture, and you can see it on my Facebook page. And he's looking in the air, you know. Very arrogant. You take one picture, you know, you look in the camera. But Ingve looking up in the air like he doesn't care, you know. And uh, that was a big letdown. And in 2008, many years later, I met him again, again at Balingen, back at Banger Head Festival. And he was cool. He was cool. Then he was cool, you know. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but cool. everybody's got the Ingve Malmsteen, I'm going to unleash the beast story, right? <laughs> <laughs> unleash the fury. Unleash the fury. Hey, hey guys, unfortunately, I got to go. I got a 12th yeah. meeting I have to go to. So okay, That was fun. I mean, we guys, I mean, Strad and I, we always meet for a beer in Munich, you know, yeah. but hopefully one day we can get together. You know, this would be fantastic. All three of us, sure. Yeah, hey, yeah. we'll do it. We'll do it. You know, I still have my flight on the books to come to Munich uh, in uh, August. Um, yeah, but now there are talks they're going to cancel the Oktoberfest because of the corona stuff. Yeah, you know? so I don't know if it's going to happen, but uh, I'll reschedule it as soon as I, po I possibly can. So. Well, it was a pleasure, it's, gentlemen. We, we will definitely, yeah, to be cool. continued. Thank to you so much. Hey, thank Get you, around. Alex. All right, guys. Thank Great you. Thank you for listening to the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast. Subscribe and listen to all episodes by going to our pages on iTunes, Spreaker, YouTube, Spotify, and more. You can listen to all other episodes and access up-to-date information and news on the Shockwave Skull Sessions podcast by going to our website at www.shockwaveskullsessions.com. Email all comments, questions, and suggestions to shockwaveskullsessions at gmail.com. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Touch-free QR code payments. No seller fees until 2021. Not applicable to PayPal here transactions. Other fees may apply. Shop safe with PayPal. Hey, this is Jill from the Container Store. Oh. Is there something wrong? I just thought a virtual designer would be a cool robot. I could do a robot voice if that helps. Maybe. Hi, I am Jill. Let's design. Nope, absolutely not. Regular voice, thank you. Yeah, I'm not good at impressions. Enjoy free virtual in-home closet design and up to 25% off closet systems with the Container Store's custom closet sale. The Container Store, where space comes from.